There's a word in the English language that I use frequently. I think a lot of us do, but I always struggle when I'm pressed to to define this word. I know what I mean when I use it, uh, but I can never really define it for someone. I can never really nail it down. It seems really fuzzy to me sometimes, and it's the word glory. How would you define the word glory? Now, don't think of it just like, uh, you know, that, oh, well, that's a spiritual word. You know, it's always, it shows up in the Bible and all that. It's a word that we use in a lot of different places. It often shows up, for instance, in the arts. There was a movie back in the late uh, 80s, early 90s that Matthew Broderick was in. It was called Glory. Anybody remember the movie Glory? Okay. Another one, uh, another movie about a basketball team at the University of El Paso. It was called Glory Road. You remember that? Anybody? Okay. A few of you. John Legend and Common had a song a few years ago that was extremely popular called, called Glory. There's a worship song that says, We Sing Glory. It's in the battle hymn, The Republic. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And a John Bon Jovi song called, anybody know? Shout it out if you know it. Blaze of Glory. That's right, Blaze of Glory. It's used outside the arts too. We refer to the flag as old glory. Sometimes we, we refer to heaven as glory. In some churches, you'll hear people spout, shout it out spontaneously, glory, hallelujah. My first real exposure to the word glory was a book that I read when I was a kid about my favorite baseball player who was Bob Gibson, and the book was called, anybody know? Somebody said glory. No, yes, it includes glory, but that wasn't the name of the book. It was called From Ghetto to Glory. That was the name of the book. I think maybe part of the problem with trying to define this word is that it's used in so many different ways, in so many different contexts, it's really tough to know exactly what it means. Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. This morning, as we continue the series that we've been in on revival called Catching Fire, I want to, I want to help you understand what this word means, and I want to show you that this word is incredibly important to revival, but not just revival. It is also astonishingly important to your psyche and to your own personal well-being. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one this morning, digital, hard copy, whatever you have, turn with, it, uh, turn with me in it to Exodus chapter 33, Exodus chapter 33, and I want to welcome those who are joining us uh, for our podcast. Uh, we're, as I said just a moment ago to everyone else here, that we're in a series about revival called Catching Fire. And what we want to know in this series is how can we move out of our spiritual complacency, uh, complacency, out of the doldrums of living as if the only component to our lives is just the physical. I think that's how a lot of us live, as if all that there is to this life is just what we see, what we can feel and taste and see and experience. We want to know how we can get out of that. We want to know how we can experience personal revival, church-wide revival, city-wide revival in the churches of Evansville. And, and what we hope for and pray out of all of this is that it would lead to a spiritual awakening in the city of Evansville that could affect the well-being of this city in a way that mere governmental programs or economic policies or educational programs could never affect this city. Now, what we've seen so far in this series is that there are various stages that occur when God visits people with revival. First, there's an increasing awareness of the need for repentance. Repentance. In every historical revival in the world, it has been preceded by a new awareness of the depth of personal and national sin and then the need for subsequent repentance. That's the first thing. 
The second thing that always characterizes revival is prayer. People begin to pray, yes, for revival, but they also begin to pray for more of God. They're not satisfied with just the fact that, yes, they have a relationship with God. Yes, they know that they're going to go to heaven when they die. But they're not satisfied with that. They want more. They want a deeper, closer relationship with God. And they're, they're also praying that God's power would be manifested in their lives and in the life of the church in such a way that everyone that knows them, that everyone's around, can see that this isn't natural. This is supernatural. This is something that God has to be doing. It's not just something that a person can do in and of themselves. Well, today we're going to see the third stage of revival, and it also happens to be the third part of Moses' prayer that we've been looking at in Exodus chapter 33. Look with me, if you would, at verse 18. Verse 18. Moses, then Moses said, <clears throat> Now show me your, you guys say the word, glory. Now show me your glory. Now look, I understand, I know, it's, it's a Sunday morning, uh, even though it's the, the second service, some of you uh, haven't been awake very long. Some of you had terrible arguments uh, on the way to church, just getting your family here this morning, been there, done that, know exactly what that's like. Some of you have work stuff in your head. Some of you have relational problems that you're concerned about this morning. And so it's really hard with all of that going on to grasp intellectually and emotionally how astonishing this request is by Moses, now show me your glory, God. It's astonishing. And so I, let, me just, let me just take a moment, and I want to remind ourselves how we got to this point. In chapter 32, Moses uh, goes up to the top of the mountain to meet with God. And the people of Israel, these people that God had just rescued supernaturally from slavery in Egypt, they get impatient when Moses goes up on the mountain and they make for themselves an idol, a golden calf, and they begin to worship it, which is a violation of God's very first commandment, you shall have no idols before me. It's exactly what they do. They make an idol. God comes to Moses, and he says, I'm going to destroy these people. And he gives Moses this opportunity. He says, listen, forget these people. I'm going to destroy them. I'll take your family, Moses, and I'll make a great nation out of your, out of your family. And Moses says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. Don't, that's, not, that's not good enough. Don't, don't do that. And, and God says, okay, I'll give you what you ask for. Then God says, okay, I won't destroy them, but I'm not going to live in their midst. They're too sinful. I'll send my angel ahead of you guys, and you guys can go up into your promised land, and you will have great success, and you will have victory, but I'm not going to come along. And Moses says, no, 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 no. No, God, that's not enough. If your presence doesn't come with us, we don't even want to go because we want you. And God says, okay, I'll come. But even that's not enough for Moses. Moses asks that if God comes with him, he says, show your power to the nations. We want the nations to know that we are uh, distinct from all the nations because of your presence in us and around us and in our nations. And so we want to see your power, God. And God says, okay, I'll do what you ask. But even that's not enough. After all of those things that, that Moses asks for and that God delivers, Moses asks for one more thing. He says, now show me your glory. Now, this isn't really where I want to focus today. But quickly, I just want to say this, that Moses' prayer is just astonishing to me. Like I think about, for instance, how many of us 
would have taken God up on his offer to let us be wildly successful, but to be so without him. Like, you know, you can have everything you want physically, you can have everything you want materially, but you just won't be able to have God. How many of us would have really cared? How many of us would have said, that's great, I'll take that deal? And yet Moses says, no, 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 God, we don't want that. We want you or we want nothing. And this, this whole prayer that he praises is mind-blowing to me also because of Moses' boldness to just keep asking for more. Did you notice? He just kept asking one thing right after another. He's not shy about it at all. He's not afraid to ask God for one more thing. After all of the things that he's already asked for, he says, one more thing, God, now show me your glory. Now, I don't know if you understand that there isn't anything bigger that Moses could have asked for. And he asks for this after God has already answered all of these other prayers. He wants to see God's glory. You know what? If we weren't talking about God, if we were talking, say, about something else, we would say, well, Moses is just being greedy. He just keeps asking for stuff. But God seems thrilled that Moses keeps asking for this stuff. And as I said, this is the, this is the most astonishing thing that Moses could have asked for. The Bible says that there's nothing that's too difficult for God. Like, like there's nothing that you could ask God for that if he wanted to do it, if he thought it was good for you in the world, that he couldn't do it. Like he, he'd literally move a mountain for you. He could dry up the sea for you. He could give you fame and wealth and celebrity like that if you wanted. But this that Moses has asked for to see God's glory Watch watch God's response, verse 19. The Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion, but, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Now look, we'll look at those verses more next week, but I want to suggest to you that there is one thing too difficult for God. He can't fully reveal himself to any human being and keep the human being alive. But that's what Moses asks for. Lord, show me your glory. And even at that, even though God can't do it in a way that he keeps everybody, that he keeps Moses alive, even at that, you're going to see next week that God says yes to Moses' request as much as he can without endangering Moses' life. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's why I took a few minutes to just talk about that, even though it's not the thrust of what I want to talk about this morning. I want you to see this, that God loves to answer the prayers of his people. He is a God who loves to bless his children. So ask, be bold in your asking. If he doesn't think it's good for you, he'll say no. But if it's good for you, he'll move heaven and earth to say yes. Nothing that you can ask him is too big except that one thing. Show me fully your glory. Because if you saw it, you'd die. Don't be afraid to ask God for things. Don't be afraid to ask God for big things because he loves to answer your prayers. I have a story of a time that God said yes to something I prayed for that I actually tell almost no one 
because I know it sounds crazy. And, and I got to tell you something. Some of you, you, don't, you know, you don't, many of you don't know me personally. I'm not the kind of person, maybe you can pick this up on Sunday morning. I'm not the kind of person to over-exaggerate things that God does because I think that when you over-exaggerate things, it damages God's credibility. I read, like for instance, some time ago, a true story about this guy who said, uh, well, what's true is that he really said this. I'm not saying what happened is true, but what's true is he said this. He said that one night, he, he prayed one night for enough money to pay his bills, and the next day he woke up with a gold tooth. Now, any reasonable person, you see, this is why I think it damages God's credibility. Any reasonable person would think, couldn't God have found another way to do that that wouldn't require a person who is struggling to pay their bills to have to pay a dentist to get the tooth taken out? See, that's the kind of stuff that I think damages God's credibility. But I have a story of an answer to prayer that is a doozy. And maybe sometime I'll tell you about it, but now's not the time. I won't do it today. Maybe the last Sunday that I'm at City Church ever, I'll tell you the story, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Pray. Pray that I'll tell you about it earlier. Maybe that will happen. Okay. So let's get to things. What does this mean when Moses asks, now show me your glory? What's Moses asking for exactly? Well, in the next few minutes, here's what I want to do. I want to show you the personal significance of this word glory. Why is glory important to you personally? Because it is. And then I also want to show you the revival significance of glory because it's critically important to revival. And I want to, let me just start with the personal significance of glory because I think it'll set things up so that you understand more about the revival significance of glory. The word glory is the, he, uh, excuse me, the Hebrew word kavod, which means, on the one hand, it means weightiness. It means substantiveness. But it also means importance and significance. So it's like, it's like it means it's something weighty, it's something important, it's something substantive, it's real, it's significant, okay? The only English word that has something like the same lexical range is the word matter. Because matter, on the one hand, refers to the physical. It's something substantive. Matter is something that has mass. It is weighty. That's matter. But matter also means significance and importance, too. Like, you matter, okay? And this is what I meant when I said earlier that this word glory is important not only to revival, but also to your psyche, to your personal well-being. Here's the personal significance of glory. The personal significance of glory is that we can't live without it. We can't live without glory. Why? Because we all need desperately to know that our lives matter. That they're substantive. That they're, that they're not ephemeral. That they're not just fleeting. That we're significant. That our lives are important. Okay? But here's the problem. We all need glory, but we try, some of us try to get this glory through things like, for instance, professional glory. Or some of us try to get it through uh, the glory of being in the right part of society, you know, like being asked to all of the right parties and being invited to join all of the right clubs. Some of us try to get glory from our beauty or maybe from our financial glory. You're trying to achieve. You're trying to excel. 
And you see, all that is, for those of us who are doing it that way, what we're really looking for is glory. We're wanting someone to notice and to say to us, you matter. You matter because you're really good at what you do. Or you matter because you're beautiful. Or you matter because you're rich. We want you on our board. Oh, how that makes you feel when someone says, you matter in some way, shape, or form. And some of you would say, well, that's just ego. Maybe, but it's more than that. It makes you feel real, doesn't it? Like when someone says something about you, like, you, like you know, you're great at what you do, or, or you're important or something, it makes you feel real, not ephemeral, right? Like you're there. You don't feel like you're just invisible and fleeting. You realize you matter. You matter. And human beings need that, you see. Glory means that you are substantive, that you're important. Now, some of us aren't necessarily seeking glory in in those ways that I just mentioned. For some of us, what we're after is love. We want to be loved. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because when someone loves you, when someone misses you, when you're not at the party or at the meeting or at the dinner or when someone looks at you and says, I love you, then you feel real, like you matter, that you're substantive, that you're important, that you're significant, that you matter to somebody. It's not just ego. You can't live without glory. Because here's the thing. When you see a person that says, or when you hear a person that says, or maybe you've said it or felt this, and you hear somebody say, I don't matter to anybody. Nothing I do matters to anyone. People don't even know I exist. Let me tell you something. When you say that or when you hear someone else say that, you need to know that you or they are in danger. Do you know why? Because you can't live without glory. And the implications of that are life-threatening. People who really believe that they don't matter to anybody often become suicidal. We have to have glory. Moses knows that he needs glory, but he also seems to understand that all sources of personal glory, other than God's glory, fade. And not only do they fade, but they're also fading. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you think about it, first of all, all sources of glory fade in that they go away. Like you you have them one day, but then the next day they're gone. And then if that's been your source of glory, you don't even have a self anymore because it was the very basis of yourself. Let me give you an example. I was listening. In fact, this morning on the way in, I was listening to a podcast by a reporter for the Cincinnati Inquirer. And uh, this podcast is about um, investigative journalism that she'd done about a young lady that was uh, killed in 1978 in Oxford, Ohio, just south of Cincinnati, where Miami of Ohio is. And no one ever, they never figured out who uh, killed this young lady. And so this woman, all these years later, is doing this investigative journalism to try to determine who this person was. And... uh, This last episode of the podcast, she's doing a question and answer period with a live audience. Over 4 million people listened to this, okay? So she's at this uh, live Q&A on her reporting on this story, 
And at one point in the Q&A, she got very emotional, and she said this. She said, this story gave me purpose, and it made me glad I was alive. And look, like we all know what she meant by that, right? Like, like we've all felt that. Maybe, you know, maybe it's a job, or, or maybe it's something else. You know, you just, like you just felt a sense of purpose in doing it. But what else do we know? We know that the story she's been working on will come to an end. And if that's what gave her purpose to live, if that's what made her glad she was alive, then what? When it comes to an end, then what? Any source of glory other than the glory that comes from God fades. But as I said, not only does it fade, they're fading. They fade you. For instance, it's one thing to just go out and work and make money. That's a very good thing. But if you're actually trying to get a very identity out of your work or out of your wealth, if your very self is based on your success, it'll just drive you into the ground. You'll overwork. It will consume you. It will destroy your relationships. You see, glory from any other source than God is not only fading, but it fades you. It destroys you. And on the other hand, if you're seeking love, well, that's great. But if you're seeking love so that you know that you matter, if you're seeking love so that you know you really are real, if you look at somebody and say, boy, if I could just get him or if I could just get her to love me, then I'll know I'm okay. Then I'll know I matter. Then I will know that I'm real and that my life will be great. You're putting way more weight on that person or that relationship than you will ever be able to get out of it and you will destroy that relationship. I have seen this happen Many, many times. We can't live without glory. Glory is what makes us feel real, not ephemeral. Substantive, not merely superficial. But if that sense of glory comes from anything other than God, you will find yourself fading away as the source of your glory fades away. And not only that, it will destroy you in the process. I want to give you an example of this. Every time I go back to Dallas, uh, some of you might not know... uh, my wife is from Dallas originally. Uh, as a family, uh, we lived there until about five years ago. I lived there for about 27 years. My kids were raised there. Okay. Every time I go back to Dallas, I see women there whose glory has always come from their beauty. And as their beauty has faded, they have turned to plastic surgery to try to retain it a little longer. Now, please hear me. I am not against plastic surgery. Don't, don't think that I am. But sometimes you will see these women whose glory has always been their beauty and it has begun to fade. And they have turned to so much plastic surgery that they don't look human anymore. The beauty that was their glory has not only faded, but it has faded them. They don't even look like themselves anymore. You have to have glory. We all do. But if it comes from anything other than God's glory, it fades. That's the personal significance of glory. 
Now, what's the revival significance of glory? I want to talk about the revival importance of glory. And, I'll, and as I move into this, I want you to think about something. Like, there are many aspects of God's character that you know you need at various times. For instance, let me give you an example, his forgiveness. If you're like me, you need his forgiveness a lot. You screw up, you know it, you're like, oh God, I'm so glad you're forgiving because I need your forgiveness. The fact that God is forgiving is useful to you, right? That's an aspect of God's character that is useful to you, to me. His grace, his mercy, you know you need those things or you would have no hope. Those are useful to you. When you're in a very difficult situation and like you need his strength, you're glad that he's powerful because you need him to overcome what you can't overcome. It's useful to you, the fact that he is powerful. When you have to make an important decision that you're confused about, you need his wisdom. You're so grateful that he is omniscient because you need his wisdom. That's useful to you. In a sense, And I'm not saying this is always wrong, but in a sense, God is, at times, a means to an end, correct? But when you see God's glory, God's glory is different than that. To be smitten with God's glory is to be smitten with his beauty and to find God beautiful not just useful. It's like, it's like you, you look at him and you see his beauty and you're like, that's enough. Like I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what else happens. That's enough to sustain me. And see, this is the revival importance of glory. It is to find God satisfying just for who he is in himself. It's to worship him for himself, not for what you get out of it. It's to be enraptured with God, for instance, regardless of whether your prayers are answered or not. Just being in his presence is enough. That's the song that we sang just a little while ago, Though You Slay Me. By the way, Nathaniel didn't say that I send him a lot of songs that he never uses. So I'm just grateful that he chose to use that song. But anyway... Though you slay me, that was the message of that song. Like even if, even if stuff that I don't want to happen happens, though you may ruin me, though I may lose my job or my money or a member of my family whom I love deeply, God forbid those things should happen. But even if they did, still I will praise you. Still I will worship you. Because just you and your glory is enough. Have you ever sat and looked like at a beautiful sunset and just found it beautiful in and of itself? Like you could just sit there for hours and just, if it lasted that long, and just watch this beautiful sunset. That's that's glory. That's seeing glory. Or like if you sat at the ocean and you just stared at it for hours and just enjoyed its beauty. This is what, 
This is what beaches are about, right? Because you could get a suntan any number of places. But when you go out to a beach, you just put your stuff out there on the beach. And yeah, you lay in the sun and all that stuff. But you look at the ocean and it's like you just could stay there for hours. Sometimes you even go there at night. And you just look at the ocean and you marvel. Because it's beautiful. And that's enough. Like you don't need it to do anything. It's just, it's enough. Or maybe you've, you've been up on the top of a mountaintop and you surveyed the scenery and it just took your breath away. It was just glorious. It was enough in and of itself. You're just enjoying it for what it is, not for what it does for you. That's, that's seeing glory. But something else happens to you too when you see those things that are beautiful. Here's a, a byproduct. Philosophers will tell you that when you see something beautiful, there is also a sense of overwhelming meaningfulness that you experience. It's like you see this beauty and you realize when you see it that life is not a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing, as Shakespeare once had one of his characters say. When you see it, you realize that there's something much larger than you. And that gives your life meaning and that it pushes you out of your self-absorption and toward others. What happens, like, for instance, if, you saw, if you've seen a, a great movie, what, what happens when you see a great movie? Like, what do you want to do? Like, first, you, you love the movie in and of itself, but then what do you want to do? You want to tell everybody you know, you got to see this movie. It's great. you got to go see it. It was awesome which ruins it for everybody else because it's never as awesome as it sounds when you tell them that it's a great movie. But how about when you go to a restaurant and you eat some delicious creation that a great chef has made? What do you want to do? Like you take it, you take a bite, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then if there's somebody with you, you guys, you got to eat this. You got to eat this. Let me cut you a piece off. You got to eat this. When Moses asks to see God's glory, he's saying, I want to see your beauty, and I want to enjoy you just for your beauty. I want that beauty to be my source of glory, that if someone as beautiful as you can love me, can value me, I really don't need anything or anyone else to give me glory. That's what I want. Show me your glory. And so you see, to see God's glory is to see that God is beautiful just for who he is in an of himself. And the byproduct is that in his beauty, there is confirmation that you eternally, cosmically matter. You get glory by enjoying God's glory. If you try to prove that you matter through work or love or success, you will never really be satisfied that you matter. You just won't. And anybody here who's been in the workforce long enough tell you that, no matter how much success they've experienced. I say this to those of you who are maybe in your 20s and your 30s, and you're just like trying to establish your career. Good. Work hard. That's wonderful. But know this. If your glory comes from your work, you will never feel that you really matter. I promise you that. Count on it. Write it down. Mark it down somewhere. And in about 20 years, look back at it and see if I wasn't right. And then do me a favor. Tell someone else that. I wish someone would have told me that. 
You will never feel that you really matter if you're trying to derive your glory from your work, from your beauty, from your wealth, from anything else. Only when you see God's glory, in part because he can't show you all of it, or you die. But if you could just get a sense of his glory, you would understand you matter. And you don't need anyone or anything else to validate that. It would be nice to have them validated, but you don't have to have it. This is the final stage of revival. You begin to seek God not as a means to an end, not for his blessings, not so that he will answer your prayers, not so that he will do what you want him to do, but you begin to seek God just because you realize that he is everything that you have ever longed for in your life. That he is beautiful in and of himself. That's the last stage of revival. And you begin to ask for that. God, show me your glory. Now, one last thing. Why can we ask to see God's glory? Why is that a prayer that we can pray? Here's the answer. On the cross, do you remember what happened to Jesus on the cross? Do you remember what does he say when he's out on the cross? He cries out in the depth of his agony, and what does he say? My God, my God, why hast thou, do you remember? Forsaken me, ignored me. Turn your face away from me. On the cross, Jesus Christ got the cosmic nightmare of every human being. For that moment, he didn't matter. He didn't matter. God turned his face away from him. He got what you and I deserve, the loss of the beauty of God. He got what you and I fear, absolute insignificance. He was cosmically ignored so that you could know that you eternally cosmically matter. That's what Jesus did for you. Now, for those of you this morning who who didn't know that, maybe you've never heard, maybe you've never known that Jesus loved you so much that he would die on a cross for your sins. Maybe you've never heard that, maybe you've never known it, or maybe maybe you've heard it, but you've never allowed that to sink into your soul. Today, in the privacy of your seat, you could ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And he loves to answer your prayers. He will do so. Regardless of what you've done in your past, even what you're doing right now, regardless of what you did last night or what you did this morning before you came, he would love to be your Lord and Savior. He will never push himself on you, but... If you ask him, he would love to be your Lord and Savior. You could do that right now in the privacy of your seat. You don't have to walk an aisle or anything like that. But right now, you could do that. Would you place your trust in him? Would you believe in him today? Now, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ at some point in your life, I want you to see that this is a big and bold prayer that Moses prays. How big and bold are your prayers to God? Now, I want to challenge you to something. I want to challenge us as a church to pray for revival and spiritual awakening every day for the next 40 days. That's until March 24th. Pray this for yourself. Pray in the next 40 days, every day for the next 40 days. Pray, God, show me your glory. 
And pray this for our church. God, show this church your glory. Show us your beauty, that you're enough just as you are, no matter what happens to us. You're enough. Show us your glory. Pray that God would show this to all of the churches in the city of Evansville. Pray, God, show the churches in Evansville your glory. And pray for the next 40 days until Friday, March 24th. Pray that God would show his glory to the city of Evansville and it would result in a spiritual awakening. Remember this. It's a bold prayer. I know. It's a big prayer. I know. But we have a God who loves to say yes. Who knows what he will do? Just pray for the next 40 days. I'm asking us as a church to begin a a 40-day period of prayer that we pray, God, show us your glory. And let's just see what he does. Like it's not going to hurt anything, right? It can only help. God, show us your glory for the next 40 days. Just pray that. And let's see. Let's see what he does. Would you bow your heads with me? Show us your glory, Lord. Show us your glory. We know that you are so beautiful that we could not withstand seeing the fullness of your glory. But Lord, would you just show us, just give us a, a glimpse of your glory. Lord, would you give us this sense that you are beautiful just in and of yourself, not as a means to an end. Lord, would you show me your glory? Would you show City Church your glory? Would you show all of the churches in Evansville your glory? And would you show your glory to the city of Evansville so that a spiritual awakening might happen here, Lord? Uh, It's a big and bold prayer. We do not ask it because in and of ourselves, any of us are worthy. We ask it because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And because he did... Because he became insignificant for us, we know that we can come to you boldly and with confidence before your throne. And so we do so today, asking, show us your glory. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we worship and that we pray. Amen.